Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, it's slightly different. And for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. What does good coaching look like? You know, what does it look like to you? What does good coaching even mean? I think it's a tricky one because it's um, it's one that, as a as a question, is great, isn't it? It opens it up to so many different conversations and discussions. There's many ways to answer this, and I think in the the sort of simplest answer is what's the needs of the players. So good coaching is whoever's in front of us and whatever their needs are. How are we creating an environment that taps into what their needs are and and has an awareness for where they are in their journey and actually, you know, what their game looks like, what their identity looks like. And that might be asking questions. That might be at times giving more answers. That might be at times or, or certainly hopefully asking more questions than we're giving answers, you know. But that balance and just getting them, creating environments, learning environments, practice activities that give them something to think about, give them problems to solve versus answers. You know, like I, I put a bit of a thing out the other day. I don't know if you saw, yeah, just because it, irri- it, was, it was irritable for me. I'm watching friendlies going on. And I know that's a good time. Coaches often, like in a training session, right, yeah, as you, you know, we've all done it. You're doing a game and you're on the field and you're coaching the players and this, that and the other. But I was literally watching games take place yesterday where, the coach is micromanaging everything and he's on the field and he's basically playing the game for him. Go out here, go wide, go it. And, you know, if we listen to coaches, they've never made a mistake. We've never made, we've never missed a goal. We always have, oh, you should have done this, should have done that. We're never wrong. And it's like, come on here, you know, you listen to some people, you think they were bloody Lionel Messi or whatever, you know, the, Mbappe, you know, it's, it, and it becomes laughable. And it's, it's frustrating for me because my bias is more, not that, I want to, I want to uh, help players, you know, and there are times that you've got to be direct, but then equally, 
the game belongs to the players. They come to play. That's where they get paid the big bucks. So they, they come every level. They want to play. So it should be less about us and more about them. And then I think if we have that mentality, it's almost, well, what are we going after here? Is it Are we going after short-term performance? Because one coach said to me on Twitter and even other coaches that have asked me the question, well, I've done this and I've got, you know, for me it works because I can see the players improving. Okay, that's fine. So talk me through what did you do and how did how do you know it worked? But how do you know you got success? Because could they have figured that stuff out anyway without you? Would they have still done stuff without you? You know, we've often, we introduced play, practice, play in the US to try and encourage coaches to be less intrusive and create more play-centred environments where the kids are playing. So there's arrival activities, they're playing, there's a practice portion, they're playing similar to, it's not the same, but similar to like the whole part, whole attack concept. And you're playing throughout the game. And then even in that, like in the initial play phase, we were saying to coaches as part of the, this is our coach education in the US, um, and it's changing now, but with US soccer on the courses I've delivered, we were saying, don't uh, stop that game. It's intentional free play. They're coming and they want to play. And they start so you can imagine, Yaz, what that's done as a culture shift, right? Because we're, we're getting kids who come out, play. That's their warm-up, their rival activity. And coaches are being mute. And actually, the coaches will recognise them. Oh, Jesus, they're, they're actually showing good techniques. They're actually passing. They're actually doing this. They're actually doing that without them having to control it. So it, it, if we could go more towards that, and then obviously, I know there's always a sweet spot. But then it creates that argument, doesn't it, Yaz? And I'd love to get your thoughts on this without going off on one. You know, you'll have parents who watch things. And if they see a coach who's quiet, but they see another coach who's vocal, do they assume that that coach is better? Because that's what good coaching looks like. So there's all these wrestles and there's a lot of ways we can answer this question. There's many debates, isn't there, you know, where we can go down it. The reason why I say those things is because, for me, I was talking to this coach and he's like, well... I believe they were improving because of this and I drilled them and I did this and I did that and I told them what to do and he makes this pass and he does this and he does that. Okay, but then we think now that how much of that information is explicit information? Prescriptive, descriptive, but then the danger of that can become like, we can all do that. We can all drill the players and we can all control them and tell them, hey, do this or run here, run there. But what's the why? What's the why? How do we get the players to recognise the triggers? Because the game's built up on mistakes, triggers, habits, isn't it? You know, that that makes the game. How are they recognising the timing of these actions? And ultimately, for me, you could do that and you may see some short-term success if that's what you think good coaching looks like. If that, you know, reinforces your ego or reinforces that belief of that performance. But how does that set the player up? for the future to be able to handle stuff on their own. And it's all well and good doing these things and giving them these answers. But if they face a team where they give them a problem they've never seen before, what's the player going to do? He's going to be frozen and he's going to look to the bench for the answer. And that's to me where it falls down. If we're over explicit and we're not creating opportunities for them to implicitly learn, then you're developing this dependency on the coach and an over-dependency and reliance on the coach to the point where they're not playing their game and they're not figuring stuff out. But if you can create an environment where players can go, wow, you know, Tony, Byron and whoever are overloading us in these areas, right? You mark up here, you do this, you do that. Maybe we change this. 
Well, that's good. Like, I, I was, I've been at games all, all morning today. And one of the kids did something that the coach never told him to do. I'm sure the coach will take credit for it. But <laughs> the kid literally, they kept playing this ball down the right-hand side, Yaz, right? And we haven't got the speed to outplay this this uh, this left-back. He's too quick, too athletic. Too, it's not working. So they, he, he stopped playing that pass. And he actually exploited it. It was almost like, um, have you ever played football tennis, Yaz? You know what I you have a bit of banter or tennis or whatever, and you go like, oh, here's the weak link, right? Let's pop the ball in that area, you know, let's expose him. But it's like that, isn't it? It's like, all right, we're a bit shackled over here. Let's go over here. The coach didn't do that. The coach was actually encouraging the boy to keep making these runs and keep playing it. But we're not getting success rate. The player actually said, you know what? This was a 2011 today. We're going to do this. And they scored from it. That, to me, is awesome. If players can actually problem solve and come up with clever strategies of what to do. Wow, that's good. So to me, what does good coaching look like? Creating an environment where players can make decisions and solve problems. And the coach is there to, to probe and guide as and when necessary. You know, but again, it's a it's a loaded question, isn't it, Yaz? And it's, it'd be interesting to get everyone's thoughts and yours. And Because I think a lot of people think good coaching is me telling them what to do. And you know what I mean? But it's actually, well... What are we doing here? Like, we want the players to be able to figure it out themselves. The game doesn't belong to me; it belongs to them. Sorry, I know there's a lot in there, Yaz. Yes. Wow. Wow. There definitely was. I'm. I'm just trying to get my head around everything that you've just said there and think about where to kind of pick up from. Um, so I've made a I made a bunch of different notes here to be to be fair, Gerard. Um, so I'm looking at you know what's important. You know, I, you know when you when you threw this question at me, I thought, oh wow, actually, this is a question I hadn't even thought of really. Um, and I thought that was my strength. But what's important now or later in terms of coaching? What are we trying to get out from it? You know, I think it is it is a loaded question, but it's got to be context, right? It's got to be um, good coaching in training versus that of good coaching on a match day. Good coaching in a session versus that off or outside of the pitch environment, if you like. Um, the perception of parents versus the perception of players versus the perception of the coaches themselves. Um, how much of it is ego is it is related to good coaching? Can, you know, can you know can we can we def, can we can we is it possible to be good coaches without actually catching them doing it well? I'm not sure. Um, I've always gone down the route of actually I want to get to a point where I make myself redundant in the sense that I want my players to be wanting to work with me rather than needing to work with me. Um, I think I start to look at some of the things that you've touched on there around how well can they self-diagnose, how well, how well they can, can they self-correct, how well can, can they problem solve. Is that something that we're taking credit for without actually having any um, substantial evidence for it? Are we just claiming credit for it without actually linking it into where they probably could have got that from us or how they probably could have got that from us? Um, there's so many different things. I'm, you know, my mind's still kind of ticking off in terms of what you just said. In terms of, you know, how often, I mean, is good coaching being allowed or allowing the players to teach us things? Maybe um, having an open mind and looking at maybe what's universal versus what's individual. You know, and I, and I, as I often say, what's subjective versus what's objective. So there's going to be some things in the game or in any context of football, right, that just work. 
um, other times it's going to have to be there's going to have to be some innovation going on some creativity going on stuff that is linked into the individual specifically and the context of the environment they're in in that given moment and maybe the opponents and the opposition and team players around them so I think there's, there's so much in there but I guess for me you've got to start by observing right for me good coaching is being able to observe um, and then maybe decide and look at how to intervene, where to intervene, and can you catch them doing it well in a sense that look to intervene to add a layer on top rather than look to intervene in order to correct or rectify, if you like. Um, so I think it starts it starts with that for me. And I, cause it, I mean, there's so many different angles I can go with this, but those would probably be my initial thoughts on this in looking at what does good coaching look like. But fundamentally, I think we probably um, everyone probably in the room would agree is that it's got to be individualized. There's no one right way to fit everyone, right? There's no one one size fits all approach. But the thing that I always say to any coaches that I work with, any coaches I speak to, is that coaching cannot be done wrong if you're getting the desired outcome, right? There's many ways to skin the cat, so to speak. But fundamentally, there's many ways to get it right. It's just knowing what each individual needs from you as a coach in that moment and even even in some cases actually do you know what Gerard I haven't got the answer for you but do you know what if you go and speak to Tony over there I think he'd probably better, better help you with that so you know I kind of you make you start to think about mentoring people think about mentors and how experienced mentors are and they should be guiding people but actually the quality and the skill in a good mentor and I think this applies to coaching as well is understanding to an extent, what your limits are, where your strengths lie, where is your knowledge gap, where is your knowledge gap, what are your expertise, what are your skills, and where can you kind of you know be more vulnerable and say, actually, I'm going to have to signpost you here, or I'm going to, have to or, I'm, or we're going to have to unpack this one together because I'm not too sure. So yeah, that's I mean that's where my mind's gone straight away. I don't know what your thoughts are on any of that, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot of lot of things to consider there, and hopefully we'll unpack further. And guys, anyone else listening to this, if you've got anything you want to add to this or any insights you want to share or anything you want to pick up on anything me and Gerald have said already, please feel free to raise your hands and get involved as well. But Gerald, over to you, man. No, I think you're spot on because it's, I, I just keep going back to it. And there was a, a thing you shared with me earlier in the week. I loved it. You know, that video you shared with uh, Mullerstein and he was talking about adding to the game, you know, versus changing a player's game. We're going to add this to your game. And like, I think language plays a huge part in how we're coaching and having a common language and that personalised touch, you know, the phrase I've been used a lot of sporting is how can we create these personalised experiences that connect the player to, to our club? And that goes beyond just coaching. It Obviously, it has a wider message because you're connecting them as future fans with the, with the, watching the first team, right? And that, that, that side of it as well, you're generating that next generation of, of fans. But I think we've got, within the personalisation, there's got to be, well, what does the environment look like to maximise that individuality? So you talked about there developing that individual knowing them. Well, are we, tra- are we developing details? Are we, are we helping players nurture what they're really good at? You know, or nurture what they could be good at? You said a phrase there, which was like, catch them doing things well. And obviously, we always catch people doing things wrong, typically. You know, but how can we catch them doing things well? How can we 
identify and see potential in him because how many of us have, have seen it and done it where, you know, this player is deemed a bad player in this environment under this coach and they don't play very well. But somebody else sees something in them and all of a sudden this kid is scoring goals or they're doing this or they're doing that. And it's like, well, what what's changed here? And one of them, it could just be as simple as that, obviously the environment, but actually now they're in a, an environment where someone believes in them and he's given them more opportunities and they're, they're, they're taking it with both hands, you know, and I think that has a part in it and how you're developing habits because the game is built up on habits. So in a typical training session, if we're creating environments, but, you know, the practice design is encouraging them to do things that we wouldn't necessarily want them to do or put value in on a, on a Saturday, well, why are we allowing them to do it? You know what I mean, Yaz? I've been to get your thoughts on there, but like there was one where it was, um, you know, I'm watching a practice design and basically there's a lot of square balls. Because of the design of the activity, there's balls going square and across a lot. Well, we don't want square balls because they're going to get intercepted. So, or because of the rules of the game and where the goals are located, the players are going to play in a certain way. But, we wouldn't want them to do defending that way in a real game. We want them to be more compact, protect the centre of the field, reduce the space between. So because of that, then it's almost you're forming bad habits or if you're not correct, or you're saying words like unlucky, it's not unlucky. It's a coaching opportunity. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, so for me, I would say these are good opportunities where we've got to support the players more. And yeah, I've been to get your thoughts jazz and anywhere else. And, I see we've got a couple of people who want to speak as well, so it's good. Yeah, I'll just I'll just quickly come back in on that one before you start bringing people in. I think um, language is so key, and I think yeah, for me, you've had loads of conversations about this. I'm, I'm I'm probably very specific in terms of the language I use with my players, and just generally um, anyway, because I feel like we have to we have to be able to communicate in a way that the players actually understand. We have to understand. Um, even within their own experiences, whether that be just as players, whether that be from a cultural perspective or whatever, that certain words have certain meaning, right? And we have to create a language that is, as best as possible, um, universal for the environment that we're working in. But it's also very much individualising in a way that, fundamentally, I don't care what language you understand, has my message come through to you in the way that I needed it to? So for me, as much as it is about language, it's also about clarity of communication and actually getting that feedback and getting that confirmation from the players that they've actually taken on the message in the way that we needed them to, but also getting their insight, right? Because I think that's another key part of it. Good coaching is allowing players to feel safe. Um, and, you know, it's that, that phrase, right? That's that, that safe uncertainty, recognising that, you know what, there's no, there, there is room for error. There is room for mistakes. There is room for uh, differences of opinion. And you're not going to be judged or lamb, you know, lambasted for the fact that you've got a different view or a different idea on what's happened. We just genuinely want to work, you know, we're on that journey with the player rather than the players just following us, if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, I just want to kind of add that bit, but I'm, I'm conscious about getting other people involved straight away because there's so many things flowing through my head that I could be here for the next 25 minutes by myself. Um, so, Emmanuel, good evening. How are you, man? Good evening. Um, I'm well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. I'm really interested to see what you've got to say for us, man. So oh, I was just, I think everything that's been said so far has been... Oh, Emmanuel, I think we lost you, mate. Gerard, I'm not sure if it's just me that can't hear him, but... 
No, I've lost him. I got you for a minute there, and then it, Emmanuel, and then it just cut out. Give him a second, Emmanuel. If you want to just, uh, might be a connection issue there. Joe, maybe just worth just coming, getting your thoughts on what I've said so far. What before while we wait for Emmanuel there? Well, yeah, or even like it's quite. I mean, there's a lot of rich experience. Hopefully, Emmanuel, you come back. It'd be great to hear what you you, you got to say. It's amazing to see so many people listening tonight. You know, there's a lot of people on the call and a lot of rich experiences. People work at different levels. So, you know, feel free, anyone, you know, if you want to just unmute yourself and or request to speak and, and, and pop in, you know, it'd be great to to get your thoughts on this. I mean, I think there was a bit you said earlier, Yaz, which actually I really liked as well. I don't want to forget, which was around the mentor and that self-awareness of our own, knowledge gaps or just it doesn't always have to be a knowledge gap it could just be hey this is going to be a you know signposting someone to go oh, go speak to Yaz over there I think that's really powerful like that is awesome you know we need to do that I think that's that's huge um, and almost maybe even creating an environment where the players get to choose who the mentor is so they get to choose you know what I recognise that Joe has got some really cool experiences that you know it, what he's the way his knowledge and where he is with the game, he's going to be better for me than maybe Gerard or Yaz or whoever. But then somebody else might be going, Actually, I really want Yaz or I really want Paul because he's got these experiences and, and that, that's based on my profile and the type of player I'm going to be. You know, he's going to be better suited for me. Maybe he's a former defender, I'm a defender, or maybe he's this or maybe he's that. So I think there's definitely a place for that, Yaz. I don't want to forget that, you know, while you're. Why you brought that up? Yeah, just on. I think it's really important to recognise as well as coaches that you know um, we're not we're not expected to be experts at everything, but also not expected to be the best in the room at everything either. Um, and even the area that we're strongest at, there might be someone else who's, who's in the room that might be stronger than us at that. But have we got enough knowledge at that given point in time to still support that player, even though there might be someone who's just quote unquote the smarter one in the room? So I think it's really important understanding what value can you add um, and not and not doing it in comparison to anyone else, but just looking at the individual, right? What do they need? Where do they need support? Um, how do they want the support? Because this is another piece, right? Because, you know, we've spoken about this in the past where you've got players who um, don't really like that direct approach. You don't really, you know, don't really like the whole idea of being asked questions. But then I think it's important that, you know, we need to, having a conversation with somebody the other day and it made me think like you know they said oh, this player learns in this way I'm saying well actually how do you know that how do you know that that player learns in that way how do you know that the experiences that they've had with a similar um, methodology elsewhere has been a poor experience to the point where they say no I don't learn that way actually the person who might have delivered the communication or who actually delivered the intervention in that moment although it might have been a different strategy and different method the way in which it was delivered might have been really poor, which has then created a bad experience and one that players now think, actually, I don't learn that way. Um, so I think it's really important for us to constantly go out there and thinking, right, how can I make this even better? How can I make it more personalised? How can I make it more impactful for the individual to the point where fundamentally they're getting the message and they're getting the support they need in a way that works for them? And it's not just a way that works for them. How can I get better at finding out the most efficient way of working with that individual? Um so, yeah, just a couple of things on there, but I'm, I'm conscious Emmanuel's back in the room. So, Emmanuel, feel free to unmute yourself and get back on, man. Hi. Hopefully, it's better this time. Um, can you hear me all right? 
All good, yeah. mate. Go for it. Um, I was just saying, everything that's been sort of said so far is, you know, it's really spot on. I think sometimes um, I've spoken to coaches and, you know, they, they might have a session that they're doing. Um, but actually, some of the some of the steps, maybe the players are not quite getting it. And it's about being adaptable and maybe, you know, what thinking, right, I need to regress this. So if, if potentially, you know, you're teaching a child how to cross a road, and you want to teach them what the, the red light and the green light means on the crossing, but actually they can't walk, you need to maybe go back and actually teach them how to walk to get to that crossing before you get to your main goal. Um, so it's about just being adaptable and, and really, you know, we're in that environment for, for them and try and develop them as best as we can and then really being individual and helping them. So I think, yeah, that's just some sometimes, you know, coaches might have a lot of, um, let's say targets or whatever they want to get out from the session but you might only actually get one of those things out you might not be able to get onto the, the second the third but remembering it's a process as well because I think sometimes you know you might get lost in the moment and forget that it is actually a process so you don't need to get x y and z out today you might only get one but that's still you still help them on their journey um, they're not stood still they've still developed or learned something that can impact them down the line so yeah that's just all I wanted to add and I, and I really like that, Emmanuel. And I think there's two kind of things that popped up for me. So first of all, thank you for obviously sharing that. And I think it's really important to highlight that within that, we as coaches, we set the outcome sometimes, right? And we, but the players don't know what that looks like until they've achieved it. So if we could actually use it to our advantage to recognise, actually, the player doesn't know what the outcome has looked like until they get to that point. They've got to make, they might have an idea, but they won't understand the true impact of it until it's actually consolidated for them. And I think from that perspective, you start to look at what you just said there and, well, if they need us to take a step back, then we need to take a step back. But the other the other side of that is as well is also coaches. How well are you actually understanding and observing what your players do need? Because far too many times, and I'm sure you've probably been there as well, Joe, where a coach has set the session and they've never made it, they may, they've never made it even halfway through the outcomes that the coaches maybe anticipated they wanted to. But it's actually, well, did you set your outcome realistically in the first place? Or are you trying to rush rush the progress and rush the rush the development process here? Um, so yeah, no, Emmanuel. First of all, thank you very much for that. And Gerard, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, man. No, I think it's it's spot on. I do think it's spot on. I just think it's my head goes straight away of who are we to determine what the potential is of a player and how much they should receive. And are we just conscious of how much information we're giving, you know, and what opportunities we're giving to certain players? Because if we're talking about real good coaching, well, good coaching is recognizing that it's almost got to be unconditional for everyone in some cases. Yes, there's a condition on stuff, but the relationship can't be purely transactional because meaning that, you know, if you do this, I will give you this. That's transactional, isn't it? If you do this, I'll give you more game time. If I see this, then I'll get this. And part of it is that, but I think it's almost got to be more around, well, everyone gets those opportunities because it's, we have confirmation bias, don't we, Yaz? You know, we're always going to see the things we always want to see. There's, there's different types of bias. And there's confirmation, there's information bias. There's selection. And I, I won't go off on a tangent, but if we just simplify it of, well, I'll typically look for and, and like certain qualities. And when I see those things or anything that goes against that, you know, the, the challenge there will obviously become that those things will reinforce that belief system that I have in my head. Well, sometimes that can be quite limiting, can't it, Yaz? Because... We might have, I'll give an example. There was a coach I used to work with years ago 
who used to work at uh, Everton. And he told me an example of where there was a boy that basically they felt wasn't a, a good goal scorer, wasn't really doing the actions that they looked at. But when they actually looked at the data, looked at how many goals he scored, how many goals he created, and what his actions were off the ball and things like that, they actually found that he's one of the top performers. But the coach had this subjective belief, whatever it was based on, that the player wasn't. Well, that kid could have got released. Do you see what it, Based on a purely subjective opinion of how good that kid is. And by the way, he wasn't getting as much game time. But when they looked at it, it was like, actually, he's one of the better players. So it, I think we've got to be careful of like, you know, all these things of like interactions, how much is too much, what opportunities we're seeing. You know, we look at these players and we think, well, they're a good player or he's a bad player. What 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 are we making those judgments on? You know, and I get that there is a value in gut feeling and instinct, which comes with experience and time. But typically, you know, we are human. We're going to make a lot of mistakes. So I quite like that phrase of like unconditional support, so that it's it, it, we're we're offering everybody these opportunities and see what comes of it. You know, no, I, I, I get you. I, I do agree with you. I think um, the only thing I would say with that is that. It's, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Make, well, it, it, it is, but I think it's, that's why it's so important to get coaches around you that don't think the same, so that they can, they can probe and check and challenge some of your thoughts and your and, and your rationale behind certain things. Because fundamentally, we're going to be in situations where you know, if me and you think the same, and you know, we've had certain conversations where we have, you know, we've got a lot of similarities in the way that we think, and but there's also some things that we, you know, have different difference of opinion. And I think though. There has to be some difference of opinion, and it's not necessarily in terms of uh, how can I put it? It's not necessarily in terms of what's good and what's bad, but it's just looking at how people how people are valued in the environment, right? What are the skills and qualities that they're valued for, and but I think there's something obviously subtle within that as well. Is that what, what what's the outcome for the player? Are we you know are we looking at that player as oh they're not they're not good enough for this environment, or are we just saying they're not good enough? Um, are we looking at the levels and, you know, who, who are we speaking to when we have those conversations? Is it, is it just the coaches or are we looking at, actually, do you know what? You're head of recruitment for so-and-so and this this might be a player that you want because these are the qualities that you're after. These are the qualities that we've accepted that we can identify within the when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Player, but they just don't fit what we what we need at this club for whatever reason, right? Obviously, we're looking at the top end of the game here in terms of elite levels, but this can apply anywhere, right? You know, I mean, I'm, I have conversations with coaches all the time, and I'm you know, 
we're at that time of the year where a lot of clubs, especially in the grassroots environments, are doing, you know, like trial processes. And I mean, you 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 spoke recently about you know having over a thousand players coming in trialing, and obviously with your lot out in the states, and it's just like well. You know, when we look at talent identification, even who who's to say well, whether these players are good enough, and is it is it what well, are we based on where they're good enough, where they are now, where they're going to be in two years' time, or who they're going to be supported by within those within that period of time? Because now, fundamentally, if we're looking at the individual, in order to really assess and um, I guess make judgment, if you like, on their ability to maximize and, and reach a potential, if you like. Surely we have to take into consideration the coaches that they're going to be working on, or the support networks they're going to have around them. I'm not sure even if there's that. that you know, I'm, I'm conscious we might be going off on a bit of a tangent elsewhere here, but I'm not sure if there's enough consideration around that piece to recognise whether the coaching that they're going to be receiving is good enough, or the support they're going to be getting is good enough for them to actually then go on and, you know, reach their potential, if you like. So yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but you know, no, I'm conscious it's a huge that. point, isn't it? Because it's, I mean, you just said there, like we have. We did. We had over a thousand players at the, at the trials and stuff. How the hell are you going to be able to objectively evaluate all those players? And the reality is, you can't. You know, it, it's there's going to be errors, isn't there? But then it's what's the level of experience of the of the coaches who are making those decisions? You know, and I'll be honest. I, I mean, what's that phrase? You know, talent that shouts versus talent that whispers. You know, and it's how can we find the talent that whispers? You know. Versus the what everyone can probably spot. You don't have to necessarily be an educated eye to be able to spot the players that are, you know, physically quicker, stronger, faster, technically skillful, whatever. That will stand out. But it's like, well, what else have they got to their game? Or who are the ones that are, are creating? But it's certainly not a, a talent of mine. Like, I've got some good strengths, obviously. I've been seeing different levels of football. But I wouldn't say that I'm a, a leading in that. If anything, I would probably say... I mean, one of the best ones I saw for being able to spot talent was a guy called Mark Ellis. He used to work at uh, Raya, so he was incredible, absolutely incredible. Could just see talent from nowhere. And uh, I think, to your point, Yaz, going back to the, you know, recognising ourselves and performance gaps and creating that environment back to what does good coaching look like, being honest with ourselves and going, actually, let's relay it, let's trust more their judgment than mine because... If if we're relying only on certain opinions, but we could be totally off, couldn't we? But yeah, no, it's, these are all good points. I think uh, Tony, you're up next, and then Simon as well. After Tony, you know, especially with you working at Atletico, it would be great to get your experiences, your opinions as well, and some of the rich experiences you've had in in, in different academies in the UK. Tony, good evening. How are you doing? Good evening, fellas. Hope we're all well. Um, yeah, some as usual. Some really good points, and with you know, I really need to start sitting and, and, and taking notes because once you two get going, there's there's just no jumping in sometimes because it's like a little uh, it's like a little sparring contest. So it, it, it's all all good stuff. Um, yeah, I just wanted to sort of look look at the the heading there and what does good coaching look like for me. There's different ways of looking at it. Um, if you're looking at it from from the outside in, and realistically, they're going to be the people um, that are judging what whether your coaching's good or not, whether that's players or the coaches, whether it's the parents of the kids that you coach, if you allow them to get close enough to, to observe your coaching. They're going to be the ones who have a, a perception of what good coaching is. 
So if the kids are engaged, if the kids aren't bored and doing handstands and and they've gone away with the fairies down the bottom end of the field making daisy chains, to some parents, that's going to look like good coaching. The more experienced coach who might be watching you from the outside might have a different opinion on that. And I think that it's really it's really difficult to find that sweet spot. For me, you've got to know who you're coaching. So you, you, you're absolutely 100% gone, Yaz. Dive in. Now, Tony, I think just really quickly before I forget the point, I think it's a fantastic point you've just made there in terms of the level that you're working at, right? Because this is something that I, I, I've noticed over the last kind of couple of years where parents, players, um, and even coaches themselves have identified some things as good coaching. But I think you, you know, you're also only limited in your understanding of what that looks like or what you've been exposed to yourself and the environments you've been in. So I, I sometimes question, you know, when I'm speaking to parents, they say, this, oh, this person's been a great coach or this player, this player says this person's been a great coach. And I'm looking at it in the nicest way possible and saying, I don't see what you see. Um, because if that's good coaching, then you must have had some really bad experiences, right? So I think, I think, and it's not to put any slight on the coaches that I'm, I'm thinking about when I when I say these things, but it's just really looking at does that thing does that then build a false sense of confidence and both a sense of reality for the coach themselves that they're actually a really good coach, or because no one's actually told them otherwise, or that certain players have deemed them as a good coach, but actually what you expect from that good coach is just what they you know, what they're providing is just a bog standard of what you as a, what you should have as a minimum expectation, if you like. Um, just wanted to jump in and just add that in there before you continue and just get your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, and I think I think it's a valid point because um, the key word in in there for me is feel. If they feel that you've been a good coach, and yet somebody with a better understanding of what in quotes good coaching looks like, they're going to be two different things. So the person who knows what good coaching looks like, again, in inverted commas, might be sacking you at the end of the season, but little Johnny's mum and dad think you're great because Johnny likes you because he, he interacts with you or you interact with him in a certain way. So with good coaching, you've really got to find the sweet spot. Uh, and I've mentioned this on here before. I know that I don't want to coach foundation phase kids, right? It's not my strength. You have to know your strengths. Um, so I don't want to get involved in that. But I've known some coaches over the years who, who were absolutely top-class foundation phase coaches. Could they do it in YDP or PDP? Who knows? Because actually, they're really valuable where they are. Uh, there was a... a Simon was on a, a, another discussion earlier on uh, that I was listening to um, on YouTube. And it, it came up there about different, you know, the levels that you're working at and people's understanding and perception of what it is that you do. For me, if you're a good foundation phase coach, you should absolutely... It, stay there if that's where you want to work now you might want to stretch and challenge yourself at some point therefore find yourself a mentor who's worked with the older age group and get them to kind of nurse you along if you like um but it's it's really about finding that sweet spot for me and if you can find the sweet spot balance what you know with who you're good at working with then you'll probably go a long way in coaching 
I think it's a great point to, and just to kind of come back on that as well. I think you should, when you said the point about the parent, I think some parents think good coaching, and, and, and there's an argument for it, of course. Good coaching is just allowing the child to become more confident. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm often conflicted by that because it's actually well, is it real confidence? Or is it fake confidence? Is it confidence that's going to allow them to, you know, if we're looking at the, the football coach specifically, is that your role? Maybe, you know, there's an argument to say it is or it isn't, but. I think, I think fundamentally, the parent, you're right, will look at it as, well, my, my kid likes you, so you're a good coach. Um, but I think the other question to kind of throw in there and just think about is that how much of a perception of what the coaches are asking or, or how the coaches are interacting with the players is is viewed as negative or not coaching at all? Because I remember, I'm just thinking about an experience I had a couple of years ago where I'm quite relaxed, I'm quite observant, and I ask a lot of questions um, rather than you know get involved and intervene in an old kind of stop stand, so especially when I'm working with younger players in particular, and it's, I remember a parent once said to me, oh you know it's great, they're really, the, the, the players are really enjoying it, but when are you going to start coaching? And I thought, blimey, I thought I was. So I think you know it's just it's just a bit of it's a bit of a mind blowing one because it's like really there's so many different perceptions of what this could look like, and given the context, you know, kind of leads me on to this question here around. Does it depend on the individual, right? In the sense that whether they're a leisure individual or a performance individual, and it's not that's not specific to the environment that they're playing in or participating in. But a leisure individual is someone that might only be looking to kind of perform when someone has got their eyes on them, rather than a performance individual who's like kind of self-driven, motivated, and they just want to they just want to be the best they possibly can. How you know? I think that is also probably plays a part in this, right? In terms of how they view what good coaching could look like and what effective coaching could look. And actually, that's probably another question as well. Is good coaching the same as effective coaching? I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Go for it, Tone. Yeah, again, it's it's one of those things, isn't it, where as a, as a coach, you might feel under pressure at times to almost be like a, a, a performing seal where the 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 parents are, are watching over you so you believe or you think that you've got a coach in a certain way so whether you're loud whether you're quiet whether you're demonstrative whether you um ask loads of questions whatever you're actually you 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 kind of forget what it is you're there for you're there for the players which you you guys both mentioned earlier on you're there for the players you're not there for the parents you're not there to perf- to perform for for anybody else and yet I guess sometimes in the in the pro environment that that I came from uh, fairly recently, um, if if the FA are there or your head of coaching there or your academy manager's there or the first team manager comes down, are you going to coach in a different way? Well, actually, if you're a good coach who's confident in what you're doing, you won't change at all. You'll just carry on the way that you always coach because that's that's you know you're not performing, you're not putting on a show. Simon, be interested to see from your end, you know, just building on this, your experiences, you know, Tony mentioned before on another topic as well. You know, what does good coaching look like to you? You've worked in some different environments, you know, in Spain. You know, it'd be interesting to get your insights, especially as a, as a, as a Brit abroad, if you like. Yeah, uh, guys, cheers for, cheers for having me on. I, I assume you can hear me okay? Perfect. Yeah, cool. Uh, no, cheers for yeah, cheers for having me on. Um, and yeah, I'd probably just echo a little bit of what Tony was saying, really. Uh, and I know just sort of listening to a little bit of some of the comments you guys were saying before, 
It really also does, you know, I think Yaz mentioned it as well. It really does depend on the individuals. It also depends on the group, depends on the, you know, the, the part of their journey that they're on, whether or not they're in foundation phase, youth development phase, wherever it is, good coaching for them could look completely different depending on their moment of their, of their career or, or, or their pathway, for example. So, um, then, as you guys have said as well, you know, parents as well, that's such, such a huge part of the development of, of players. And just one little sort of golden nugget that I took from, from years ago when I was at uh, Fulham, uh, there was a guy called Nick Levitt. Um, and he, he would sometimes write on a tactics board what the aims and objectives were of that session and leave it available for the parents to see what was actually going to be worked on in that session so that the parents were then able to know, right, this is what we're working on today. So that then the parents have got, under, have got a better understanding as the session's going on, what, what the players are, are working on. And then when the players go home, the parents are well informed of what that session was for. Because that's the other tricky thing is sometimes the parents will look at a session and be really confused by it or not quite know what they're doing. But then, you know, as coaches, you know, we're always wanting more time with, with the players. And I think, you know, a little small little thing like that educates the parents. It then allows more communication with the players and the parents outside of those, outside of those sessions. Um, I have a couple of things that I've experienced on the way through. I had this at, at Bournemouth, I had this at Southampton, where, um, and this isn't available for everyone, um, but those that can, and this is sort of a, a really key thing for, for coaches to be able to reflect on is I was able and fortunate enough to um, have some of my sessions recorded. So they were videoed. I was mic'd up. Uh, we would then sit down after uh, a couple of, a couple of days gone past, sit down, look at the session, reflect on the session. Uh, you'd have questions like, right, okay, there, there's ball rolling time. How much ball rolling time is there? These are the interventions you used. How many interventions were potentially successful, etc.? Go, go on, Yas. I've got you've got your hand up. Yeah, just really quickly, I was just going to say really key point. I think we're in that time now, site where everyone can get some sort yeah. of recording of the session, right? And I think it, it shouldn't be understated because I think people are looking at. I think we're, we're too ideal sometimes. We want to, we want, we want the recording. We want the you know the, the drone out. We want the all, the all the cameras. But actually, it could start as simple as just putting your iPhone in your 100%. pocket and recording your interventions. Hundred percent. Just voice noting them. Do you know what 100%. I mean? Hundred percent. Yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, as you say there, you know, not everyone has access to a camera, or not everyone has access. You know, then you, then you start talking about uh, child protection and, and safeguarding and stuff in terms of video in, in grassroots, and maybe that's not a possibility. So, of course, yeah, simple things like that. Get a little uh, Bluetooth microphone, uh, about 20, 30 uh, pounds from, from Amazon, link up to your phone, put your phone in your bag or whatever, and, and, it, and it works. And so then, as you say, you can, you can listen back to, to your coaching uh, at a later date. Then, you know, as you guys are saying, and as I want to just add as well, it's a case of trying to find someone you trust. You know, even in grassroots, it could be a parent, uh, it could be a fellow colleague, could be whoever, just someone you trust and that you know is going to give you real honest feedback. And then talk to them at the end of sessions through the week and say, okay, critique me. Tell me the things that, 
you think I've done well. Tell me the things that you, you think I can improve. And even basic things like that is, is that sort of growth mindset that, I've, you know, for me is, is massively important that I think, you know, as, as, as all coaches, we, we need to have, um, you know, we, we were speaking earlier uh, with Tony and a couple of others. And I think at no point as, as coaches are we the ever finished, uh, we're never the finished article. Like even, even Pep, Arteta, whoever it is, it doesn't matter who it is, as, as coaches or people that work in education, we are always trying to improve. And I think that sort of growth mindset is, is, is massive, you know. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, you know, a few little snippets for, for you guys. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let someone else sort of respond or, or add in on top of that, I think. Yeah, so I think it's some great points. There. I think just something really key to kind of just touch in on there is that one thing that always I always set myself a task of every single session, just go out there and try something different because you already know what works, right? You've done it so many times. You've, you've been there, you've done it, you've seen it work, the players have told you it works. And it's not to say that if it ain't broke, go and fix it. But is it the best way for it to be working? And this is the thing I've always I've learned from my experience as well. And Gerald, it'd be interesting to get your views and anyone else in the room as well that... If players and parents see that you're trying your best to make things better, they will never, in my opinion, in my experience, fault you for it. They want to see that you're working hard to get the best out of the players and even do your best as a coach. So I think there's a really, really key point to kind of make on that. Um, Gerald, over to you, man. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Well, I, I, I think it also depends the environment you're in, though, as well, to be fair. Because I think if you're working... I mean, I was, I'll, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this, Simon, because I know in Spain it's pay to play, similar to the, the US at certain levels. You know, over here, typically you could be the the best coach in the world or the nicest coach or a coach who they can t- see that genuine enthusiasm that you're trying to do better. But if anything, it could be held against you. You know, it could be seen as vulnerability and weakness and They'll, they're ruthless anyway. There's no loyalty because they'll take the players to another club if if the offer is better or it's a better division or whatever. So it's tough. But I think, I mean, just going off what you guys were saying there, I mean, even the the Nick Lavette stuff, I mean, again, that's good practice across all age groups for me. I know typically he was working um, in like the foundation phase, pre-academy and things like that. And those are integral moments, especially with the parents. And that's why I think good coaching, it's, well, how can we inspire and involve? How can we find more ways to inspire and involve the parents or the key members of uh, key stakeholders, grandparents, whoever it is, that's bringing these these players to our environments, as well as inspiring and involving the players? You know, co-designing, just finding ways to involve them in the experience. Yes, I. What are you thinking? Yeah, no, hundred percent. You know, I, I think as we were saying before. Uh, we as coaches don't get huge amounts of time with the players during the week and we always want to try and increase that as much as possible. So I know a lot of coaches or clubs will do uh, little tactical things outside of um, outside of the, the sessions, but the parents are with those players for so much of the time. And, you know, we were saying about the, the Nick Levette thing is, is is if you can just support those parents and give them a better understanding of what you're trying to achieve. Uh, as we were saying, you know, if you can do that all the way through or, you know, those little things, all those little, you know, everyone talks about like the one percenters and two percenters and all, all that. But the more of those things you can bring together, ultimately, that is going to improve those players. And, you know, how, how we define good coaching, you know, 
I mean, that's a really, really broad, a broad term. But those things also then give you questions. Parents will come and go, okay, you know, that was a really interesting topic you did or that was a really interesting session. And then start to share those ideas. And ultimately, if you've got more knowledgeable parents, you're going to have those open conversations with parents. You're then going to improve as a coach. And the players ultimately are going to improve and, and get better. And I think you, you guys mentioned it before as well. And, you know, the, the involvement for those individuals from all the different stakeholders is is key and uh what you said Gerard as well was 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 interesting as well because yeah I mean a lot of uh the grassroots uh families and, and players have to have to pay to be involved in in teams here I, I think I mean that happens in quite a few different countries so it's it's tough um and there was a little bit of a we had some interesting conversations earlier about you know if if a coach is professional or they're semi-professional or they, or they get paid to be a coach how much pressure is on those people or if you're in grassroots you know you guys said it before as well it's a case of you know every every coach in different different moments of their pathway some are going to obviously be more experienced in different uh, levels or different phases within within player development as, as Tony mentioned earlier and I mean, what Tony mentioned earlier was fantastic. You know, if, if if there are coaches out there who are really, really fantastic and enjoy the foundation phase, for example, a youth development phase, etc., those are coaches that, as a, as a country, we also need to stay in those in those areas. But unfortunately, as as we know in coaching, um, the money's probably a little bit higher up the pyramid, which is another. You know, I mean, that's another tangent we could we could go off, um, and it's it's a challenge. But ultimately, I think. You know, to kind of go to the main question, what does good coaching look like? Really, I think as coaches, we need to have a, a growth mindset. We need to be um, involved in our own development. We need to be happy and willing to accept criticism and ask questions about our sessions. You know, try and get recorded, try and get videoed, uh, try and get feedback from, from people, uh, try and interact with other coaches, go watch more sessions. What's the engagement like of, of your sessions? What's the ball rolling time? You know, how many players to a ball? You know, if one ball is between 22 players for, for a whole session, OK, if you're working on something tactical with maybe older age groups, fair enough. But, you know, grassroots with some of the younger age groups, OK, maybe you want to have it, you know, more 1v1, 2v2, etc. So that, you know, the, the players are going to get more out of it. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a really um, challenging topic. Um, you know, I think for, for me here... Here in Spain, I guess, it's been a really interesting uh, journey so far because there is a real big uh, focus, especially in grassroots, of winning. So that has been something that I've experienced when I was with my grassroots team last year where it was, OK, um, that was a, you know, th th there was a bit more pressure from that perspective for, for the team and for the, for the head coach to try to, to win. So... I guess that brings another thing in terms of the process or, or outcome sort of debate. Um, where I think in England it's a little bit better in that sense, where it's a bit more process-led, not only for the players but also for the for the coaches. And I think Gerard, you mentioned it earlier, you know, uh, or someone mentioned it earlier about you know if you might be doing really well, or parents think you're doing really well, and players don't think you're doing really well, then all of a sudden you come to the end of the season and and you, and you get sacked, and actually what you thought was good wasn't good. So um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's an interesting debate and I guess, you know, the main thing for me is just having that sort of growth mindset to, to want to improve and want to get better and 
watch other coaches, experience different cultures. You know, for me personally, you know, to come out here to, to Spain was something I always really wanted to do to try to get myself out of my comfort zone, um, better understand the culture, better understand a different language, different way of working, which hopefully, ultimately in the future will give me a, a different set of tools and hopefully makes me a, makes me a, better, a better coach. Whether or not that's true or not, who knows? <laughs> Everyone's uh, perception and opinion on, on coaching is so broad and so wide, which obviously makes our, our profession so good, but also so challenging. No, 100%. I mean, you're bang on. I think it's, if anything, there needs to be more people like yourself putting them. It's harder because every situation is different, right? Family, context, kids, no kids, mortgage, no mortgage, whatever. But you're spot on. I think it's just, it's it's richness, isn't it? Especially in this multicultural world that we live in now and so diverse. It, there's a couple of things that you said, and it's that's why I asked that question about the, you know, comparison in Spain because I, I'm, and you hit the nail on the head because in America it's almost that well, good coaching is winning. So you talked about that pressure in Spain. It's fascinating to hear it because it's over here, even at the grassroots level, these guys are getting judged on how many games they're winning, and that does have an impact on retention. Even though we talk about individual development, for them the the culture is very much around the team and championships and how many state cups have you won and this that, and the other. And it should instead be about, well, what environments have we created that are really good? How have we developed these players as people? What events have we created to develop their life skills and the tie back into the community? And all that is great. But the bottom line is, and we looked at it from retention, um, and winning doesn't solve everything, but it definitely helps. And it's almost like that question of, well, what does good coaching look like? If I was to ask that to parents here, even in the club I'm in, <laughs> it'd be interesting I'm sure it's the same for you for them it's winning it's yeah. a coach who can get the result and win and you know, do you know what I mean like it's it's it's, it's fascinating isn't it mate because it's you look at it as um, and you mentioned about the money and that's another thing what does good coaching look like you know Tony said oh, the academy manager shows up or the director of football or someone walks up do you change and I'm sure you have or I, I, I'll be honest I've definitely done it when I was a part time coach and I saw so-and-so walking down. I was like, oh, fuck, here we go. You know, or, or the other way, it might be, oh, get out, you know. But you shouldn't. But it, maybe it does. It has an impact. And ultimately, there is more money up the pyramid, in the UK at least, in certain areas, isn't there, when you work with older players. So does that change, then, what good coaching looks like? The coaches end up coaching more for themselves and less for the players because they're like, look, I might be good with the kids, but... Unless I'm working at this age, I'm not going to get... And if I can win more games, I can get to that age. I can get more money. You know, so does that then change what good coaching looks like? I don't know. It's it's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's, it's really difficult. I mean, one thing I would say is, you know, since since I've been here and since I've started with, with Aleti, is that the, the coaching environment, the support, uh, for me, has been, been outstanding. Uh, we don't have... Uh, and this is where it's different between grassroots and, and where I am with, with Aleti is... I don't have that pressure in terms of winning. Uh, it's, it, it's very much development focused, and obviously, it's for, for me, it's it's the right way of working. But as you say, you know, within the different levels, it it changes, um, and obviously, with grassroots, maybe that mentality changes because people see that maybe their players might have a better chance of making it. You know, in 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 inverted commas or getting a getting an opportunity in academy if their team are perceived to be winning. 
um, which again, you know, is not necessarily the, the right or the wrong way to, to look at it. Obviously, it's down to down to opinion in, in terms of that one. But yeah, I mean, I'm very fortunate where I am at the moment to to be able to work at such a big club in such a great environment with people who are really, really supportive of not only me being a, being a foreigner, but also of, of the pathway in terms of development. But that's where I guess, you know, the, the challenges for people come in and you've got to try and find somewhere that suits you. And um, yeah, go on, Gerard, I think. I want to ask on that one because it's just quick before we bring in David is, so you, obviously you're working in that environment. What What's it like for you? You know, because... I've worked with Spanish coaches before myself. It is different the way they work, the way they operate, right? And you know what I mean. And even we're different. To, do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I used to see it in Morocco, and it and it, it would be commented on even by the Moroccans. And and it's I'm just curious, like, what does it? What are the, some of the things that, in terms of the structure or the methodology, because that's a huge part, of, right? And it's probably a huge word that's said a lot. And then even just how the activities are sort of linked together or what typically you do. Like, could you talk us through an example of a, an example of a training session or a week and, and sort of what that looks like in your environment, what would be good practice, you know, and if there's any takeaways really. Yeah. I mean, as you, as you can imagine being, being here in Spain and, and stuff like that, there's a lot of focus around the, the technical aspects of the game, the tactical aspects of the game and socially and psychologically, that's all involved. You know, the, the sessions are really intense High pressing, high high engagement. You know, really, really at, at the top. You know, in terms of the demand of, of players uh, in, in in our pathway, um, and generally, you know, a typical sort of session would have you know three, four, five parts. You know, you've got your S and C guys in at, at the start, then that progresses into small possessional practices. You know, little rondos, boxes, however you want to call them, um, with overloads. That could also be some sometimes sort of unopposed unopposed work. Then that goes into a little bit bigger, similar sort of ideas, but just on a bit of a medium sort of scale, adding a little bit of sort of transitional elements within within that work as well. And then the third and the fourth part, the, the fourth part is almost always, you know, gameplay and trying to transfer the learning from the session into into a game and allow the players to to enjoy what they've done and uh, to try and transfer that learning and then the third part of the session really is is more sort of bigger picture stuff, attack versus defence, big transitional um, focus. So really here it's sort of broken down into those you know three, four, five parts. So much of it is is focused around the the technical aspects of the game, the tactical aspects of the game. Um, the physical aspects are done a little bit at the start, but it's not really a huge huge focus. Um, I definitely say that you know, as you can probably see from you know, Spanish national teams and you know, the the teams that have taken the, the Spanish approach in in the Premier League and stuff. It's you know, the, the players are very good technically, tactically really good. You look at the coaches as well, and you know, that that methodology is is very clear to see and you know, it's very apparent here. Even when I was in grassroots here as well, um, big focus on positions passing, receiving, quality of pass, quality of receiving, movement to get on the ball, where you should be, um, all of that sort of stuff that I guess when you talk about Spanish football uh, and the methodology is, is really something that you'd you'd expect to sort of hear really. Um, but yeah, the, the intensity in which the sessions are done here, similar to what I've experienced a little bit before in England, but here 
a little bit, and then just going back to another one of your questions, actually, in terms of some of the the coaches um, in grassroots, for example, here, the, the coaches were uh, very intense, would probably be a, a good word to, to put it, really passionate. Um, and yeah, the big focus on, on actual performance in terms of the, the result. Um, so there'd be probably some of the quick sort of key points that I'd probably just, just put on that. But yeah, I mean, it, it, generally, this is very intense. No, it's fascinating, mate. It's it's, it's really good because it, it's just interesting to see cultures, as you know, right, and how things operate and what goes on in other environments. And there's always those debates around, well, what does good practices are look like? Unopposed, not unopposed. Yaz's favourite topic, rondos and things like that and just the tactical stuff. I mean, some of the coaches that I saw, the way they'll coach, like their style, but also the emphasis around a lot of the sort of uh, positional play and the you know the 4v4 plus fours and the little this that and the other and just the sort of offences it's it is interesting on what that menu of learning looks like so no it's really good I bet it's a huge we'll have to talk about it another day it'd be great to to get your insights right yes I mean I think it's incredible you know being abroad working a foreign language I mean do you plan a lot of your sessions in Spanish do you speak Spanish how have you done that? Yeah, so everything here is in Spanish. I'm currently doing my A license here with the federa- federation in Spanish. I uh, have to type up and write the sessions in Spanish. Yeah, everything is everything is Spanish. So obviously it's been an interesting journey from from a language perspective. Uh, one that you know, Do you coach better? Do you feel you coach better in, in the second language than the first? Uh, I mean, you have, you have to really think about it. You do have to really think about it because, you know, the, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not like nature to you. It's not you know. It's not like a second nature where you just know you get your words out really quickly. You know, there there have been moments where it's been tough. It's been challenging, uh, and oh, it is. you know yeah. you can't get that vocabulary out as quick as you want. Obviously, in, in your mother tongue. Um, so sometimes you know I spend time before sessions, sort of a little bit, sort of pre-planning, maybe. You know, these sort of scenarios could come out in in the training session. These are these are the words and this is the vocabulary that I need to have pre-planned so that I know. Okay, this could happen. I'm going to need to use this vocabulary. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been it's been three three and a bit years of learning. Obviously, the language, you know, challenge. You know, saying bad words. Well, not as in swear words, but you know, bad pronunciation of words wrong words wrong phrases sentences and you know some, right. sometimes obviously the players look at you a little bit lost uh, or a little bit confused um, <laughs> which obviously <laughs> yeah. is natural you know um, but then you know you, no, you, you get there it's, it's fascinating isn't it because the reason I asked is because I actually felt I coached better in French than English <laughs> okay and it's pro- probably because it's more I mean I'm fluent but when I started it was almost like I was coaching more in bullet points. Yeah. But I just got to the point quicker. Probably because we haven't got the, 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 the wide vocabulary that we have in, in English. Uh, yeah. You're going to say it using a million words or complex words. If anything, I probably spoke like a child talk. It's just really simple. Yeah. But yeah. It, that's why I thought I'd ask you because it's, I think uh, it's, good. You, it's right when you talk about the pronunciation thing. I always felt if I spoke too fast, it was not good. You almost have to speak slower. But as in doing that, to get the one the pronunciation, but two, 
slower, I felt it had a more calmer effect because it's like really calm coaching. I don't know. That's what I thought I'd ask. I just think I love that you said planning your sessions as well because that planned vocab is huge, isn't it? Yeah, I was just going to say, just on that for both of you, really. I mean, you're talking language. I'm just thinking now. I, I, I can anticipate what your answer is going to be here, but do you find yourself then more relying on demonstration and different methods of actually coaching in, in itself rather than just the language? And even in the language in itself, did you find yourself that if you then became more specific about the language that you use? The reason I ask that is because I'm conscious about how specific us as coaches everyone in this room and even people wider from here are actually specific about the language they use with their players? Yeah, no, for 100%, 100%. Like, you've, you've really got to think about it. You've really got to be precise. And like Gerald was saying, you know, uh, you probably, or I generally probably on reflection, use talk less waffle. And I'm more to the point, more direct in terms of this is what I want. This is what you need to correct. This is what I'm looking for. Um, I've used the board more often uh, in terms of having a few pre-planned questions, a few pre-planned thoughts on, on the board because that helps. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. You know, when, when you learn a second language that, you know, obviously more people are doing now, which is fantastic. You know, it's not only a, a great life skill, but, you know, to, to broaden your experiences as a, as a coach, I think definitely just gives you a little bit of a, a better understanding of the terminology you use, yeah, as like, like you were saying. And, um, it's challenging. It's tough, you know. It's, it's really tough. I've had a, a lot of uh, difficult sessions, but as I said before, you know, the environment I'm in as, as, a, as, a, as a coach within the club that I'm in has been fantastic with me. And I think that makes a big difference to, to allow me to try and be a better coach, uh, allows my sessions to be better, gives me the confidence that, you know, the, the people above me and, and working with me are, um, are supportive and ultimately you know when we talk about good coaching you know that is that is it you know you need to have those positive support networks to to improve to learn and, and to be the best version of yourself and ultimately that's going to help the players so um, that's what we do it for you know uh, and yeah I can say no so I really appreciate your thought, your thoughts and your insights tonight uh, cheers really, really cheers um, David I'm conscious you've been waiting for a little while so let's hear what you've got to say good evening David. How are you, man? I'm good, thanks. Uh, no problem waiting around. Uh, lots, lots of good um, information given out from all you guys there. Um, and I, 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 the, the level I'm at is, is I suppose, elite. Uh, youth development phase, uh, 13-year-olds. And I've been at this for five years now. And everything you guys have said has come up. And I have different phrases and references for it. But uh, Simon mentioned a couple of things there. Um, and I wouldn't mind asking just a quick question in terms of his session. So within the session, there's five or six different elements of the session. But in terms of him feeling that he's gotten of achieved the objective of the session and the players within that session, um, knowing that they've achieved and executed, they've understood it and they've executed the session and they achieve it at the end, how does he go about that? If he's still there. 
unfortunately, I think it looks like he's he's just left us. Yeah, he just messaged. He actually had to shoot off. He just sent me a message now. But well, that, that was a really. Um, it was pertinent to me. It was. It was one thing that I wanted to get a, a, a ask him about. And the fact then that he went on to say that he's doing it in Spanish, I just thought, holy, you know, where, where does he start here? Um, but um, the way the way the way I would um, do it, or what is a good coach? Going back to the reference, um, for me, I, I I'm doing this a good few years, and this year I've got a guy in giving me a hand, and he's definitely getting me ten or fifteen percent more on the players. And the one thing that he does is. And you guys mentioned it earlier, he has a personalised touch. Um, and the reason that he has a personalised touch is that he gets to know his players. Um, the second thing he does is he gives them confidence. And when they walk away from a conversation with him, he will have given them three or four or one or two areas of improvement. And he, he will actually get them to tell him. And they will bounce away from the conversation knowing um the chat that they've had with him um, is is giving them so much confidence and things like that. And I've never seen anything like him, to be perfectly honest. He is a former professional footballer and a, a real good guy. Um, and that was just a huge thing for me. The second thing uh, for me was um, player to player. So it's always coach to player. So maybe, little Johnny, can you drop in here? Can you go, go high there? Can we do it with a bit of intensity? and pre- You know, all these different things, a better touch, back foot, all the coaching points that we have. But coaching points to a player. But player to player is pretty much guaranteed to get a point across, more so than coach to player. So how do you go about getting that? And what I've discovered is, I mean, we can all have the session plan again. Simon mentioned five or six elements to the session, and I would have that as well. But I would start with the tactics board at the start, and as a group, we'd go in, do the warm-up, do every part of the session, and ultimately arrive at the session where the crooks might be, you know, we're playing out from the back and wide areas, and we've either achieved it or we aren't, or there's a trigger happening or it isn't happening. And if I can get the group together as a defensive unit to say, okay, no, this is not happening or this needs to happen. Well then before I do it as a coach, well then that's, that that's a better thing. And, and what does good coaching look like for me? If I see a player, the center back, giving the right, the full back information in terms of no drop a little bit deeper and it'll make it easier for me to play the ball for you or whatever it might be. In terms of the, the, the full-back understanding the position or whatever the phase of play might be, I think that's a huge thing. So player to player, and one of you guys mentioned it earlier on, as self-diagnosis. But self-diagnosis in the session is, is huge. And if he can pass that on to his, his the other players within the unit, well, then that's brilliant. And I, I thought they were really two good coaches. And two things that I rely on a lot. Um, the tour team... Um, would be or have, is the objective achieved in your session um, and the answer to that is always I find in terms of record yourself record your introduction record your debrief reflect on it and critique yourself um, for me uh, they'd be really big things and, and help you and I suppose I've, I've, I, I do have a growth mindset so it helps in terms of I'm always looking for the next thing and and trying to help and improve myself. Um, I'm surprised with the, the, the speak um, and the amount of speak of parents and 
contact with parents. I, I do engage with that, but the way we do it is we, we get all the players, parents to ask questions, but they don't have anything to do with the session. They need to grill the player in terms of their role and their responsibilities within the session. And the parent can then contact me at any stage and, and um, we can have a chat about the player uh, doing A, B or C incorrectly or correctly or how they're getting on. Um, we do also use the parents, and it was mentioned earlier on by your, yourselves, um, the role of the parent, because they do play a huge role. We only have them for a good few hours a week. And at the level we're at, we need more than just a few hours a week. So how do we do it? Um, we rely a lot on the performances and the behaviours of the player. So the performances have to be there in terms of strength and conditioning away from us, maybe athleticism and, and work away from us. Um, so we do rely on the parents uh, monitoring that and, and having a role in that and the education process involved in all that. Um, and everything I've just said there is pretty much being mentioned in you guys, with you guys and a lot more. Um, I thought it was a great chat and just glad to have a little tuppence at the end of it. No, thanks for sharing. It's great insights and to be fair, you, you bang on a minute. I think the more we can do just to create those environments for players, and as you talked about, like even the peer-to-peer -peer stuff that you mentioned, David, I think is good. Yeah. Like, that's good coaching, isn't it? Players actually teaching each other, passing on information, peer-to-peer -peer learning. I know we haven't touched on that tonight, but it's a great point. Yeah, but the, the way I'd go about that would be, let's say all the warm-up is done and the football activation is done and we're into a 9v9. So if I see that something is not happening, I'll wait for a few minutes and I won't just jump in. I'll wait to see that the players recognise it not happening. If they fix it with me maybe saying something from the outside, um, I'll, I'll do that. But if I can't, uh, we do a thing called, okay, into our groups. And that will be into our groups in terms of a midfield or a defence, a midfield and a unit, chit-chat. And they will discuss attack or defence or the objective of the exercise and what we're doing and what we're not doing. And again, they'll get another opportunity to go and do it. And if they're not doing it, I'll then jump in and that's coach the player. So I'll give them all the opportunities to go and do player to player. But if, it, if they don't, well, then I'll just jump in and I'll say, OK, the fullback needs to go here or you need to pass the ball quicker or whatever it might be and offer a coaching point. But confidence for me is a huge thing. I've seen it, especially with the age group that I'm at, 13. If you can give a guy a little bit of confidence, and I've seen it with the guy I'm working with here now, he's he's amazing and just how he, he, he treats the players. And he's, he's a hard task master, but he's very fair with them. And uh, we, we definitely get so much more from that in terms of just giving them confidence. I think you're spot on, Dave. Um, it's, it's really interesting. I think you know, regardless of what age group we're at, I think it's about giving them the confidence. But I think giving them confidence to not just boost them, but actually giving them confidence that allows them to feel that actually they're doing some things right and doing some things well. So and I really appreciate your thoughts on that one, Dave. Mengi, I think I've got that right. If I, have, uh, if I haven't and I've butchered it, I'm terribly sorry for that. Um, but good evening. How are you, man? I'm um, good. Thank you for asking. 
no problem. What did you want to share with us tonight? Uh, what age group is the grassroots? Is it from zero age to 12 or 13, 14? What age group is that? I think um, just generally the terminology when you look at grassroots is just people playing outside of the quote-unquote elite pathways of the professional game. I don't know if you've got a different perspective on that, Gerard. Yeah, I would say exactly the same. I mean, anything that's participation, grassroots could still be adults playing five-a-side, right, or an adult league. That's, that's, that's grassroots. If you're playing for enjoyment and participation, it's at every level, any age, anywhere. And then the minute it starts turning more towards formalised and structured training, geared towards performance and, and, and results and even more, you know, elitism, then that's when it's, it changes the, the pathway. Okay, thank you, guys. No, no problem. Well, I think this has been brilliant, Yaz. I mean, we've had some really good interactions, questions and, and, and sharing. I think tonight, outstanding to hear from everybody, their thoughts and experiences. So I just want to say a massive thank you. We are going to be running a, a host of these events. You know, we've got more coming with some Twitter spaces that I'm going to share in the chat, along with our webinar in September. So it's a great opportunity for people to to sign up, you know, and, and gain some accredited education points and also involved in conversations like this. You know, where you're stretching and challenging yourself and getting ideas and sharing stuff. So we've got events. I'm going to pop it in the chat now from August 27th right through to September 19th, which is when we're doing the webinar on developing a game model. And that's an accredited event through the Football Association for two hours. So, again, really good opportunities, more opportunities to engage with us and keep growing this community and stretch and challenge yourself. I don't know if there's anything from your end, Jazz. Anything I missed or you want to add? No, I just really echo everything. You said obviously massive appreciation for everyone that's been involved tonight, that's you know, been able to share some thoughts and insights and even just ask any questions. Um, we are here pretty much every Sunday, guys, so please make sure you're following us, get involved. Um, if there's any topics that you want to hear discussed on the on the space, then please do let us know. Um, as as Gerard mentioned there, we've got a series of webinars in upcoming spaces which are FA accredited, so if you are a coach with a a fan number, an FA number, then you can get those um, CPD hours accredited. Um, just very brief post-reflection re- post task. I mean, if you catch all the episodes and all the conversations we've had on the Coaches Network podcast as well, so there's a range of different content, loads of conversations we've had over the last, well, we've been doing this almost a year now, Jared, I think, um, with these with these spaces. So, you know, time's flown, but there's loads of conversations that we've had. And, um, yeah, it's just great to see so many new new people in the room um, continue growing the community like I said guys make sure you're following us stay in touch let us know your thoughts if you've got any questions and then even in the future guys if you know if you're not too confident and you're comfortable actually coming up and speaking feel free to drop us a DM or just comment on the space and we can kind of share some insights and views that you've got as well so that's pretty much it from me Gerard um, massive thank you to everyone again and you know, have a great evening there you have it guys another episode of the coaches network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on instagram at the coaches network or on twitter at the coaches net we look forward to hearing from you let us know what you thought about today's episode and until next time guys 
Take care.